Welcome to Science and Wisdom Live, where scientists and meditators meet. Father Lawrence, it's a pleasure to have a chance to speak to you today in advance of the Science and Wisdom Live conference that's coming up in a couple of weeks. We're really looking forward to having you as part of that dialogue. But today we're just speaking to you individually to get to know you a little bit better. Beg your pardon of asking quite a few personal questions um, because I think you've lived quite an interesting life. Thank you very much for being here. It's a great pleasure to be with you and happy to respond as best I can to any question you want to throw. Thank you for the warning about that helps as well. <laughs> sure, sure. No, no problem. So the first question is about your childhood. If you could share a significant event from your childhood that helped you become who you are today. If you don't mind, I'll cheat a little and, and offer three. The reason is, is that as I thought of one, it always seemed incomplete. But these three seem to form three facets of uh, what is essentially one's life, is, which is one experience unfolding and with great diversity, but a mysterious unity. So anyway, the first of these was one of my very earliest memories. I can't even remember how old I was, very, very young. And I remember waiting for my mother to arrive by car or taxi to take me home. And I'd been separated from her for a while. So I was very excited about going home. And it was a very warm summer day and the air was filled with the scent of roses. And I can remember just the excitement of waiting for the car to arrive. And when it did, I was just, you know, ecstatic like a little child is. And hiding, I actually hid behind a tree uh, for some reason, which always reminds me of something the cloud of unknowing says about how we meditate. We hide from God in order to be able to, <laughs> to find God. <laughs> anyway, so that was, and that was a memory of what a great anticipation, great joy, maybe it's symbolizing the nature of, of real desire and the fulfillment of it. Hmm. Uh, the second uh, sort of memory that came to mind was uh, when I first heard about meditation. I was um, in my first year at university and I was meeting with my spiritual teacher, John Main, Irish uh, monk. And uh, I'd gone to see him to discuss various questions in my life. And at the end of one of the conversations, he spoke about meditation quite unexpectedly and in a very light way, a light touch. And it wasn't, you've got to meditate, anything like that. It was really spreading this teaching before me or around me in a very light way. But at the same time, I knew it awakened something in my heart at a deeper level, which was also a desire, really, a desire to enter into that experience of uh, silence and of unity and of presence. So uh, it took me a few years after that to develop a proper practice, but nevertheless, that was, that was a starting point. And I suppose the third one would be uh, arriving here, where I am at the moment, at Bonveau, which is our international centre in France. About three years or so ago, uh, we were looking for a, a new international centre. And when we had looked at various places and recommended recommendations, but nothing seemed to fit and we were beginning to feel a little bit discouraged. And then we arrived here and just when we turned the corner and saw Bonveau, which is a, originally was a 12th century Benedictine monastery, we kind of knew this is it. Mm. And it has to be here. It was a kind of clarity and a sense of homecoming. Mm. So I don't quite know how you put those three together, but there's an underlying theme, I think, between them. 
Mm, they're all different ways of feeling at home, I guess, or finding something of deep meaning and significance. That's right. Yes, it is about homecoming too. And <laughs> I think one of the best in the Tibetan tradition, they speak about, I think the word for meditation means becoming familiar with yourself. And uh, I think many people speak about meditation as a feeling of coming home. Mm. It's very nice. It's, it's like discovering who you are, you know, these moments where you discovered who you are and how you interface with the greater world, you know, for a greater purpose. So mm. very nice stories. So now I want to ask you a little bit more about your everyday life. What do you derive the most satisfaction from and a feeling of benefiting others? I take pleasure in a lot of things, give me pleasure and joy and uh, music and literature and being part of nature in a more formal way, I would say probably meditation itself. Meditating is a, a very great foundation and always new, always fresh, sometimes you know, change, changeable, of course, but essentially always this feeling of doing the right work and being involved in the right, on the right path. And of course, having your life re, rebalanced, reset. So I think meditation itself, just the practice, we you know, meditate four times or, or more a day here. Secondly, I think seeing how meditation forms community, that's been a theme in my life and one of the insights of, of, of the work that we do, that when people meditate together, it uh, forms a community among those who do that. And uh, it also awakens them to a sense of communion with mm. others, wherever they are. So meditation forming community. And also, I don't mean that in a sort of utopian way, because community is hard work. And, uh, but I also see how meditation helps to nurture and heal the growth process of community and, and relationships. And thirdly, I would say, Meeting people, which is my privilege to be able to do a lot, is to meet people and to live with people in whom the spirit is perceptibly at work, shaping, reshaping, guiding without, without dominating. Just that incredible, powerful influence of the spirit that is at the same time liberating and not infantilizing or not, mm. not in any way taking away the integrity of the person. In all of those, I think I would say there's a, there's a different way of perceiving the experience of God. Mm, beautiful. And you've been an important part of bringing, expanding the role of meditation in Christianity. I'm, I'm curious what you, how much you can talk about this, but what you mean by meditation from the Christian perspective and how that's different or the same as prayer. Well, that, that's a good question or opposition way of opposing them because it, it uh, takes you to the heart of the issue, really. And I think for many Christians who haven't heard about meditation and are not aware of the contemplative tradition within, within Christianity or think of it only as something outside of Christianity, who may still be stuck at a rather dualistic uh, image of God, I think uh, that's, a, that's a question that they have to wrestle with and it's a good question to, to face. Is meditation prayer? That's, you often will ask that question. Yeah. And I think the answer is yes. And the, it's the whole of the contemplative spiritual tradition of Christianity to affirm that very centrally, although this contemplative dimension of Christian tradition got marginalized or became an object of suspicion even different periods. I was just 
looking today at the proofs of a book by one of our teachers, Sarah Bachelard, uh, called Contemplative Christianity, some talks she gave at the John Main Seminar uh, last year. It's a brilliant uh, overview, really, of the emergence of a contemplative Christianity. Karl Rahner, one of the great theologians of the last century, said the Christian of the future will be mystical or there will be no Christians. <laughs> I would say specifically the answer to the question about meditation and prayer is that, yes, of course, meditation is prayer, but it's, it's the prayer of the heart, mm. what the early Christian monks called pure prayer. Mm-hmm. So there are many forms of prayer. You could think of prayer as a big wheel with different spokes and the different spokes representing the different forms of prayer, worship and scripture and petition or pilgrimage or many different practices. Mm. But at the heart of that wheel, there is a hub where all these spokes converge. Mm-hmm. And there you have what the Buddhists might say nothing, or the, mm-hmm. Taoist, the Taoists might say nothing. But that nothing is the center of, of energy. You could also say this is the place, this is the heart, and the heart is where everything resides, according to the Upanishads. The whole universe is present in this tiny space mm. of smallness in the heart. And in Christian language and in the scriptures, we would say Christ in you, mm. that the prayer of Jesus is what matters, not my prayer, not my anything that I could call my prayer, has to be surrendered along with everything else that I call mine. Mm. Uh, as the ego gradually gets uh, laid aside. So what's left then is just the prayer or, mm. of the Spirit, which is for a Christian answer to that, we'd have to look at the, the idea of God as this communion mm. of love and this dynamism of, of creativity and transcendence. And who knows, maybe even in some mysterious way, even suffering at the heart of the divine um, which creates everything. So uh, meditation, you could say then, is our way into that prayer mm-hmm. by making the journey from the mind to the heart. Mm, that's, that's very beautiful. I'm, it sounds like you're saying it's a way of um, letting go of your ego and making a, a direct connection to the universe and to God in some mystical mystical it, way, yeah. It's direct, yes. I mean, you could look at meditation just as a way of reducing your blood pressure, and that's <laughs> not a bad, that's not a bad side effect. But as you found your blood pressure being reduced, you'd probably say, oh, "I wonder what else it might be doing." You know? That's a that's actually a good moment to ask a little bit about science. This upcoming dialogue is about science and contemplative traditions. Has scientific research informed your meditation and your contemplation in any way? Yes and no, and not. Trained as a scientist, I was trained in, in literature and then in, later in theology, but literature is my, my first training, really. But that has led me to see science as maybe rather closer to poetry than many people might uh, feel comfortable with. I think uh, science searches for language and concepts to express its discoveries. But the act of discovery and the process of discovery and research and so on, and those moments of brilliant intuition that usually come to young scientists, which change the whole landscape of our worldview in science, that is a change in perception which calls for a change of language, a change of terms and 
scientists are also, they have the language of mathematics, which is beautiful. I don't speak that language, but uh, I respect it. But they also need uh, other types of language and expression to communicate, articulate, make conscious what uh, they are discovering. So anyway, yes, has science affected my, it didn't lead me to meditation, but the more I have been in dialogue with other religions, of course, but also with, with scientists, I'm fascinated by the research that's, that's done. Um, it disappoints me when that research becomes reductionistic. Yeah. And it sort of says, well, this is the explanation, you know, so you know, meditation is simply the combination of these these processes or these neurons firing or these synapses. It always seems to me that this, this, these are metaphors to explain an experience that will always be receding. We'll never be able to pin this down. And yeah. in that sense, it's very close to religion. Yeah. Because the religious person is seeking God. And the closer they come to God, the, you know, the more they realize they're never going to be able to... Yeah to tackle him and, and, and get him to the ground. I mean, this is very obvious through the discovery of the quantum field um, in our time and how it relates to the other types of physics and Newtonian and Einsteinian worldviews and how they relate to each other. And they may compete, they may argue, and Einstein didn't like some aspects of quantum theory and so on, but ultimately they are one aspect of, of human curiosity is focused in the scientific. And, and I think the, you know, meditation and scientific research, or the, sorry, the scientific research into meditation has been really interesting. But I don't think anybody has started to meditate or meditated for very long because they read a research paper on meditation. So what any more than somebody would get married <laughs> because of yeah. reading a profile of, of somebody of, of a candidate. But seeing how meditation clearly does touch the physical and the mental hmm. planes of human existence is fascinating. And I think that awakens a sense of wonder at the human itself, mm. with a sense of the spiritual and the non-dual. Mm. In our time, where there are intelligent people proposing that the uh, human race has, has failed its, in its project, and it has to, the only thing it can do now is to recreate itself with, bio, with genetic engineering, seems to me a statement of supreme stupidity. Or that artificial intelligence that we are creating is going to take over and turn us into pets. Uh, James Lovelock, I think, says that. Uh, yeah. the, these are disturbing ideas, seem to me not very persuasive when you look at them, but they, are, they can be very influential ideas, and they are really deeply um, undermining of human dignity and of human, and, and human wonder. Yeah. And meditation has this great capacity to rehumanize us and to restore our sense of wonder. Mm, I like what you said about science, how you, what you appreciate about it is that it, it's a language, you know, including the language of mathematics that, you know, opens us up to the variety and, and wonder of the world. It, it's a nice way of saying that. There's one other question we wanted to ask. It's kind of a, an aspirational question that if you, ha if you could be granted one wish to solve a problem through the combination of science and contemplation, uh, what problem would that be? Well, maybe trust. Mm. 
we've become uh, not just skeptical, but, but really uh, at a loss for meaning. Mm. And we can see the breakdown of trust uh, in the political process, in the communication of the news. We see the breakdown of trust and decency in the financial fields, as well as politics and public discourse. And so I, and I think that's happened, well, it's been happening progressively, but seems to have reached a, a, a peak at the moment. And if you look at what science, technology anyway, has given us, is this capacity to communicate, <laughs> to do what we're doing now yes, yeah. uh, on Zoom and to share that with others and what we can do with social media, and yet how destructively we seem to use our technology or how mm. self-destructive we can be and how addictive and undermining of human dignity our reliance on uh, technology can be. So we need a, that there are extremes either way. Mm-hmm. We totally reject uh, the spiritual uh, and the human, mm-hmm. uh, the way I was just describing, you know, so that's... that's roboticize uh, the human on the one hand or on the other hand we we become you know uh, luddites and want to destroy the machines that uh, have also brought us a lot of benefits so we need the technology god knows during this pandemic uh, we need it we need a cure and so on we need to be able to communicate and do research but we need to remember the primacy of the human and uh, this means, I think, a, combat, a partnership, really, between contemplative scientists and uh, scientifically respectful uh, spiritual teachers and, mm. and, and seekers. And wherever, and I think this is what this conference is, is aiming for, and it's a partnership which will be mutually beneficial. And at the heart of it is this extraordinary capacity of a contemplative practice seriously faithfully practiced to rehumanize us and to help us to love and revere the humanity in each other. Very nice. Yeah. So you started out by saying restore trust, restore trust in each other and in our institutions. You mentioned also respect, which seems essential to <laughs> reestablishing trust. So, well, that's a very good aspiration and a nice place to end. Thank you so much, Father Lawrence, for giving us a little bit of your time. And I'm looking forward to our event in a couple of weeks. My, my pleasure. Good to, to be with you. And I look forward to it very much as well. Yeah.